You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. The Apostle Paul's source for his eschatology on the second coming in his Thessalonian letters is drawn from Jesus's Olivet Discourse. How many times have you heard that Jesus's Olive Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, also found in Mark 13 and, and Luke 21, how many times have you heard that the Olive Discourse is for the Jews and it's not for the church? Well, I've, I've heard that many, many times. In fact, this is a, uh, a definitional tenet of pre-tribulationism. It's a, it's a pre-tribulational presupposition. And, and, of course, this is vital for their theological system to maintain this presupposition because if they allowed Matthew 24 to, to be a teaching from uh, – of, of a teaching from Jesus to to the church, which it should be. That's what it was intended for the the original audience were, were the founding disciples or the disciples for the founding church. But uh, if if they allow this to be Matthew twenty four a teaching for the church, then that would of course the obvious implication or in their view a ramification would be <clears throat> that the that the church will face the Antichrist Great Tribulation. In other words, the rapture would not happen before the Antichrist, it would happen afterwards. And they can't have that, of course, right? Because that would that would contradict their their phantom doctrine of eminency. It would just contradict their whole system. It would just let me, let me put it this way, all right? <clears throat> sort of with you know, Jehovah Witnesses, again, I'm not comparing pre-tribulationists <laughs> with the cult here, all right? I do believe pre-tribulationism is a false teaching, but I'm not saying pre-tribulationists are, are cult members or anything like that. But if you were to demonstrate to a Jehovah Witness that Jesus is God, that or let me put that Jesus is Yahweh, right? It's over. It's over. Jehovah Witness, uh, the, the, the whole cult collapses. If you can demonstrate uh, in their mind that that Jesus is Yahweh. It's over, right? That that's like so fundamental to to what they believe about who Jesus is and and larger issues of who God is. Well, for pre-tribulationists, if you can demonstrate that Matthew twenty four, this is a teaching for the church. In Matthew twenty eight, Jesus says, you know. Teach. Uh, this is part of discipling, right? The Great Commission. Teach them all that I commanded you, not just, hey, everything I commanded you except for, oh, yeah, the Olivet Discourse. No, no, no. The Olivet Discourse is not relegated to, you know, quote, unquote, tribulation saints. No, the Matthew 24, 25, this is a, I mean, Jesus, one of Jesus' longest discourses uh, to his disciples, who would be, again, the founders of the church, that this teaching is not for well, it's for the future for for, for tri- again tribulation saints and not for the church. Um, I, I'm, that's just a really bad teaching. But if you can demonstrate to 
pre-tribulationists that Matthew 24 and 25, and of course Mark uh, 13, the parallel accounts in Luke 21, Luke 17, that this is for the church. This is for us. This is a teaching for us. The warnings, the events that are going to happen, that this is applicable to the church. This can happen. These events in Matthew 24, 25, they can happen in any generation. They haven't happened in any generation. It could happen in this generation, but we're taught we're 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 taught to to be on the the lookout that this that these events can happen, uh, and they will happen in, in for the last generation of the church definitely. Okay, but if you can demonstrate that to the pre-trib, their whole system collapses. And let me tell you that it ha- that has happened many many times. I I get emails every day. All right, and. Uh, and some of these emails, you know, they, uh, I, I get tons of emails from ex-pre-tribbers who say that, you know, hey, I'm a pre-wrath, you know, and all this stuff. And sometimes I, if they don't explain how they came to the pre-wrath viewpoint, I, I like to write them back and say, hey, I'm just curious, what 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 convinced you to see that the pre-wrath view is the most valid position? And uh, more often than not, uh, they often cite that, hey, I, I had to come to grips. Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, this is a teaching for the church. And once they recognize that, pre-tribulationism completely collapsed and everything else fit together for them, you know, comparing it to Paul's epistles in the book of Revelation. So this is this is really important. And what I'm going to be talking about today, you will not hear uh, pre-tribs talk about what I'm going to talk about, and that is the the overwhelming parallels between Matthew 24 and 25 and Paul's Thessalonian epistles. So the, uh, <clears throat> and by the way, sometimes pre, you'll hear pre-tribs frame the question by saying, well, you know, Jesus in Matthew 24, he Jesus teaches about the second coming of Christ, but Paul over here in Thessalonians, he teaches about the rapture. And so they they dichotomize these two eschatological passages, but this is the, the the truth is that this is a false dichotomy, and it's easily uh, proven to be false, uh, <clears throat> which I'm going to do today. In fact, we're going to see we're going to see that uh, between Jesus and Paul's teaching, they are incredibly incredibly consistent with each other. And that should not be surprising because we're going to see that Paul actually says he's drawing his teaching from Jesus himself. Uh, G- the Jesus is all of discourse. Again, it was handed down as a tradition uh, to the apostle Paul. And of course, most certainly it was handed down to Paul by the original disciples as well as Luke himself. And that's how Paul received much of his, his tradition. Of course, he did receive revelation. Don't get me wrong with that, about that. But uh, we know that Paul did receive, uh, most likely, in a, obviously in an oral fashion, oral tradition from the disciples and from from Luke. And, and recognizing the parallels between the Olive Discourse and Paul's Thessalonian epistles, you know, this is nothing new. I mean, scholars, and you don't have to be a scholar, even just general readers of the Bible have recognized these parallels between these two accounts of Jesus' return. Uh, but in in my research, though, over the years of comparing these two texts, 
there are actually many more parallels between these accounts than are typically noted in the literature out there. In fact, I have, I've recognized uh, 30 parallels between these two texts. Yeah, 30 parallels, not just, oh, you know, Jesus mentions, um, you know, that the Son of Man returns, you know, in the sky, in the, in the clouds, and Oh, Paul, interestingly, mentions the same thing. Jesus is coming back in the clouds. Oh, there's a parallel. No. Yeah, that's one of the parallels. But there's 30, 30 parallels. And these are not, I'm not trying to strain the evidence. Uh, I'm just showing you what the, 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 the similarities are between Paul's teaching and Jesus' teaching. Now, of course, the, the obvious implication of this type of study is that Paul and Jesus are not teaching about two completely separate, distinct events. You know, one's going to happen to Jews and one's going to happen to the church. No, the implication is very clear. And that is they are teaching about a single return of Jesus that will, uh, that will um, <clears throat> apply to the church. Because, of course, the, the obvious inference here is, well, you know, everyone's going to agree that Thessalonians is written to the church. And since the Thessalonian letters are written to the church, and Paul is drawing his teaching from the Olivet Discourse, then the 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 inferences in then the Matthew 24, 25, the Olive Discourse must be for the church. Okay. Otherwise it it, it makes no sense. Why is Paul drawing from Jesus' teaching about the same event? Okay. So <clears throat> there's 30 parallels between Jesus' teaching on the second coming in the Olive Discourse and Paul's teaching on the second coming in, in the Thessalonian letters. And this comparison of Scripture with Scripture shows, it shows Paul's dependence on the Olive Discourse. And again, we, and, you know, we should not be surprised by these parallels since Paul himself, he explicitly uh, claims dependence on on Jesus uh, in First Thessalonians chapter four verse fifteen. It says, "By the word of the Lord." Now we don't have to actually have that verse. We don't need Paul to tell us, "Hey, we're I'm drawing from Jesus's teaching." The fact that there's thirty parallels <laughs> tells us that. Th- this just confirms it that we know that Paul is drawing from uh, from from the Lord here, and this most certainly, again, is that oral tradition that Paul would have received from, from Luke and the, uh, the uh, disciples. So, <clears throat> this demonstrates, it's going to demonstrate that Jesus intended the Olive Discourse to be a teaching for the church, okay? It's profoundly mistaken to, you know, as preterists do, they, preterism, they, dismiss Jesus' warnings in the Olive Discourse for the church today because they believe, oh, Matthew 24, that's that's only for believers in AD 70. Uh, or, as pre-tribulationists do, they dismiss the warnings, the severe warnings from Christ in Matthew 24. They just dismiss these warnings. They say, oh, no, those aren't for the church. You know, those are for, uh, quote-unquote, you know, uh, Jewish tribulation saints, you know, during the future tribulation, you know, some people say, well, you know, what, what, what's the big deal? The, the big deal? Well, the big deal is Jesus' warnings are if, if, if you're a Christian uh, and you dismiss 
the most severe warnings of Jesus in the in in the New Testament. Um, I mean that that says something. So there there's dangerous implications, uh, and 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 just speaking of that, you know this is this is. Remember, Jesus tells the Jewish leadership. He says, "You you nullify the uh, God's word by your traditions, your man made traditions." Well, what do you think pre tribulationists do? I mean, think about this. Just just think about it. If there's some pre tribulationists out in the audience, I want you to think about something. You're you are relegating a swath of scripture, important scripture, one of Jesus' longest discourses at toward the end of his life. About his return, Matthew 24, 25, Luke 21, Mark 13, and saying, oh, that doesn't apply. That doesn't apply to me because of my tradition of pre-tribulationism that says, even though you can't find a single verse in the entire Bible, that says that the rapture is going to happen before the Antichrist's great tribulation. Think about that. You're really going to dismiss the severe warnings of Christ? Well, the same principle that Jesus um, admonished the the uh, the Jewish leadership applies to pre-tribulationists. They nullify the word of God because of their traditions. And we can also go, go into certain Revelation, the book of Revelation, some important passages in, in there that say that doesn't apply to the church. For example, uh, Revelation 13. Okay, let's. so what I'm going to do, there's 30 parallels, right? And I'm not going to give you the exact passages. I'm just going to list the 30 parallels. If you want to see what, you know, the exact passages, in fact, this would be a, this would be a perfect Bible study, a small group Bible study. If anyone out there is thinking about, Hey, what, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of a Bible topic for a small group. This is perfect. Uh, Comparing scripture, scripture, you're going down this list of 30 parallels and uh, what I would do is, well, first of all, th- this is uh, in my appen- uh, in my book, Antichrist Before the Day of the Lord, uh, what every Christian needs to know about the return of Christ. It's actually uh, in a, it's not in a chapter, it's in an appendix at, at the end of the book. And the appendix is called Parallels Between Jesus and Paul, appendix number two. And I have a chart there of these 30 parallels with the passages, the specific references, the biblical references, okay? Also, I... On my website, I have four e-charts that I sell together. They're they're really beautiful e-charts, in my opinion. Uh, and one of these e-charts is this chart of thirty, and I will uh, of these thirty parallels, and I will give a link in the show notes as well to uh, if you want to check out these uh, e-charts. <clears throat> okay, let's. Uh, let me go through these uh, thirty. They're they're roughly in logical or some maybe kind of a mix between logical chronological order. Uh, so, but uh, I okay. So first of all, I want to now remember each of these parallels. They're found in either in they're found in not either but both. They're found both in in Matthew twenty four twenty five, uh, and in First and Second Thessalonians because these are the two major passages in the New Testament that teach on this on the return of Christ. Okay, number 1. Um Christ is is the source. I mean, this is a teaching from Christ himself made very explicit. Okay? And we mentioned 
actually mentioned Paul's reference in um, chapter 4, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, right? And obviously, Matthew 24 is in 25 is from Jesus. Okay, the context is the parousia, okay? So, that's really important right there because people say, well, Paul doesn't talk about the second parousia and only Jesus does. Well, that's completely false. I mean, it's, the biblical evidence is explicit. It's right there. In fact, I, I will mention two passages. Uh, um, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I mean, very clearly, Paul is talking about the second coming, and so is Jesus. Okay, moving on to more parallels. Uh, do not be deceived. They both teach that concept. Uh, alarmed. Don't be alarmed because the uh, that the end has come. They actually they both have that theme or that topic or that concept. Uh, the Antichrist desolation, opposition by Antichrist, deceiving signs and wonders. Uh, the elect will not be deceived. Lawlessness, apostasy of many. Surviving believers are delivered. Notice here that there's just not one or two parallels between these, these, these teachings, and we're, we're up to, what, almost 10 already, okay? Persecution cut short. The initiation of the parousia, now that's important. What, what, am I, what do I mean by the initiation of the parousia? Well, Paul and Jesus aren't just talking about maybe what's going to happen during the parousia. Their focus is on... <clears throat> their focus is on... Um, uh, on the the beginning point of the parousia, what's going to happen when it begins? Okay, and of course Jesus also talks about certain events that are going to happen. That's going to happen before the parousia. So that's important because again, you hear pre-tribulationists say, "Oh, uh, Jesus talks about what's going to happen after the parousia," and Paul talks about sometimes what's going to happen before it. <laughs> uh, no, no, they both talk about, it's amazing, they just, they don't want Jesus and Paul to t- be talking about the same thing, but the biblical evidence is just uh, amazingly overwhelming. That's why you will not find in any pre-trib literature, I repeat, you will not find in any pre-trib literature what I am telling you right now. You won't see these 30 parallels in their literature. And they'll admit, they will admit, oh, yeah, there's some parallels. You know, Jesus comes on the clouds. Oh, but they're different, you know. Uh, yeah, there's a gathering, but they're two different types of gathering. Uh, yeah, it looks like the, uh, there's – they also talk about the day of the Lord. But no, no, there's, there's two – and yes, they actually say this. There's actually, you know, uh, two different types of day of the Lord. You know, there's a broad day of the Lord and a narrow day of the Lord. All right, let's move on. Um, I think I mentioned um, – yeah, apostasy, uh, lawlessness, right? I think apostasy of many, surviving believers delivered. Okay, I mentioned that. Uh, persecution is cut short. Initiation of the parousia. Parousia follows the Antichrist. They both teach that concept. Universal perce- perception. So this is not, you know, the this is not <laughs> this is not a a, a secret rapture. It's going to be universally perceived, not just only by you know, Christians. This is not what I've what I've uh, mentioned before. This is not going to be a dog whistle return of Jesus. Uh, you know that only believers are going to know when Jesus comes. You know, and then the rapture happens, and the whole world is looking around, scratching their head. Whoa, what just happened? 
So yeah, universal perception. God is Christ. Christ is going to be glorified. The son of God is going to be glorified. It's not going to be some secret rapture. No, when Christ returns, unlike his first coming to Christ, first coming, when Christ returns, the whole world will know that he has returned. It's not going to be in secret. When he returns, resurrects his people, the world will know the resurrection will happen. Make no bones about it. And then you will have the ensuing wrath of God upon the wicked. Christ will be glorified in the deliverance of his people and the judgment of the wicked. All right, we're half through here. Uh, So Jesus with the clouds and power and glory, angelic presence and a, a trumpet call. Now, notice the, the last few of these parallels I mentioned, Jesus in the clouds, power, glory, angelic presence, trumpet call, those, those four or five parallels right there, that's, that's where most people, most people say, yeah, there, there's parallels and they'll, they'll cite these parallels, right? But of course, as, I, as I'm going through there, there's much, many more parallels than just you know a trumpet call and angelic presence, right? Uh, there's a gathering. Which of course, we believe in Matthew twenty four thirty one is that refers to the the rapture itself. It can be none other than the the, the rapture if we if we understand that these parallels uh, between Matthew twenty four and twenty five um, are teaching the same event, which they are. And so Matthew twenty four thirty one, when Jesus talks about that when he returns, he's uh, he, his elect will be. Gathered that can be none other than the rapture. There's going to be a meeting, and a meeting, and I have the Greek term apentesis. Okay, it's that very interesting. Uh, both Paul and Jesus, Jesus uses it in the parable of the of the ten virgins. Uh, this meeting, and then for Paul, it's mentioned in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse seventeen. Okay, back to back rapture and wrath. That that concept is found in both of the accounts. Peace and safety, thief in the night, sudden destruction for the ungodly, the initiation of the day of the Lord. Um, and then they have the, the teaching, the warning of inescapable for the unprepared. In other words, when Jesus returns, it's going to be un- inescapable for the wicked. They both teach that. Knowing the season, they both talk about the season. No understanding the season, the faithful at his coming. There's a there's a focus, an emphasis on being faithful at his coming, and then finally, number thirty is uh, drum roll. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, be watchful and expectant. Of course, that's um, part of the faithful at his coming, but it's a little different concept. Uh, being being watchful and expectant, okay? So, no, Matthew 24, it's not talking about, you know, Jews during the tribulation being watchful and expectant, and then Paul's teaching is for believers being watchful and expectant. It's for both, both, um, or, or, or it's it's for, um, for, for the church. Both of these, these warnings to be watchful and expectant is for uh, the church, Okay, so um, practically out of breath, let's see these 30 parallels. And now, uh, 
I'm going to actually respond to a few objections that pre-tribulationists typically give. You know, if you say, hey, Matthew 24, 25, and Paul's teaching in Thessalonians, they're talking about this same event. There's typically two or three objections that that t- always comes up, and they're really, in my view, they're very weak objections, and they're easily refuted, and I'm going to note a few of these objections and respond to them, okay? So, uh, some pre-tribulationists, they object to pre-wrath by pointing out that there are, they'll, they'll say that, well, there's elements that are lacking, quote, lacking in either Jesus's or Paul's teaching, and therefore, they say that they can't be referring to the same event. Well, for, for example, here, good good example here. For example, they will, they'll state that Paul never mentions the celestial disturbances found in Jesus's account. Therefore, Paul cannot be speaking about the second coming uh, that Jesus is speaking on. Well, here's the problem. This this type of argumentation, it's it's first of all, it's unreasonable and uh, unreasonably and it it basically demands that when a New Testament writer teaches on a doctrine, he has to be exhaustive in every element of it. Well, that that's I'm sorry, that's absurd. Um, that's just simply absurd. And by the way, incidentally, the Paul does actually refer to the celestial disturbance event indirectly. In fact, in his in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five verse three, he has his statements. His statement uh, is, he says, quote, sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will surely not escape. Uh, Well, guess where that's drawn from? Paul's citing from a text in Isaiah, Isaiah 13, 6 through 10. And if you go there, you're going to see one of the most prominent celestial disturbance passages in the Bible. So Paul has in mind the celestial disturbance event. It just wasn't his purpose to include it uh, in his account, although he is actually citing from uh, a text that that highlights the celestial disturbance. So that, that argument doesn't work with pre-tribulationists. And now, and think about this, the... Another point I want to make is this idea that, you know, that you have to have every element in every account for it to be talking about the same thing. If you really think about it, it's, like I said, it's, it's very unreasonable. It's very absurd. I mean, pre-tribulationists and preterists, you know, they would never, they would never uh, be this unreasonable with other doctrines containing this many parallels. I mean, what if we applied their skeptical standard to doctrines such as the deity of Christ or salvation? I mean, we could never draw any conclusions if every passage on a doctrinal topic was required to, you know, contain virtually the same elements as every other passage. I mean, that, again, that's that's absurd. Uh, imagine if we applied the standard to studying the gospel stories. I mean, there would be no reason to possess four gospel accounts, right? Because I guess we just only need one. God ordained four portraits on the life of Jesus with each gospel writer giving a different perspective complementing the others. 
I mean, we'd have to say, well, Jesus must have been born twice because there's two genealogies, <laughs> right? By, by the pre-tribulationist logic, I guess Jesus was born twice, right? Uh, I mean, we have two different counts of the genealogies, two different counts of the birth of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, the gathering demoniacs, the crucifixion. Was Jesus crucified two times or four times, <laughs> right? Uh, and the resurrection. I mean, all these accounts don't possess the exact same the uh, elements as, a, you know, maybe Matthew has something that Mark doesn't have, but Mark has something that Matthew has. Um, again, I mean, that's just absurd, but we know they're talking about the same event, let alone 30 parallels, <laughs> 30 parallels between Jesus's teaching and, uh, and, 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 uh, Paul's teaching 30 parallels that, oh no, no, no. Oh, uh, Paul is missing one element that's mentioned in Jesus's teaching. Really? You're going to dismiss that? I mean, that's how strong, I mean, if you want to know how strong tradition is, just look at how they reason. I mean, that type of reasoning, I mean, it just exudes tradition when you can't even see the plain, obvious, explicit teaching between Jesus and Paul. You have to dismiss that because, oh, uh, Paul is missing the celestial disturbances. Well, maybe it wasn't his purpose to include it. I mean, just absurdity. These parallels are, you know, between Jesus and, and Paul, they're, again, they're not in. Incompatible. Uh, they're complementary and harmonious. There are no, first of all, there's no contradictions between their two accounts, and they have 30 parallels. Uh, and speaking of contradictions, actually, the, um, well, maybe I'll um, get to that in a moment here. <laughs> but uh, I want to move on to another point. Uh, let's see here. I wanted to mention, um, well, okay, here, here's another objection by pre-tribulations and preterists, and they, they'll cite that, you know, a reference to, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13, 13 through 18, right? Okay, uh, they'll cite that there's a multitude, quote, a multitude of angels is lacking in Paul's rapture passage in First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. Now, remember, okay, so... They'll say that, well, Jesus mentions the multitude of angels, and for Paul, again, here's another one of those, well, it's lacking, as if it's contradictory. It's not contradictory. That's the whole point. I mean, this, this again, this is what liberals do to the gospel stories. They'll say, well, you know, maybe Matthew has, again, one account that says X, and then Mark has an account that says Y, but if you look more closely, they're not contradictory. It's just they're complementary, but they'll try to make it as if it's contradictory, even though they're maybe describing a different aspect of the story. So, <clears throat> because in, in, this, in Thessalonians, Paul mentions an archangel, okay? He doesn't mention multitude of angels, right? Jesus mentions a multitude of, multitude of angels, and Paul mentions one archangel. By the way, pre-tribulationists, they 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 bring this point up all the time, and I've refuted it many times. They've never responded to me on this point. Uh, but again, we it goes back to my other point. We should not be selective with the evidence because we need to include, in this case, Paul's entire eschatological Thessalonian teaching on Christ's coming. Um, so 
even though saying that there's going to be an archangel there, I mean, yeah, Paul could have mentioned in this account multitude of angels. He just has chosen not to. How is it contradictory to say, well, Paul is saying that there's going to be an archangel there, and then Jesus mentions multitude of angels. How is that contradictory? It's not contradictory. Now, now, if Paul would have said there is not going to be a multitude of angels, and then Jesus says there's going to be a multitude of angels. Yes, that's contradictory, but Paul doesn't say there's not going to be a multitude of angels, right? Uh, and here's another point, too, is that on, on this one, in Paul's second Thessalonian epistle, he taught that Jesus will give relief to his persecuted church when angels, plural, accompany him at his return. Did you get that? Yeah. Uh, he says in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, 7, I don't want you to miss this point. Verse 7 says, And to you who are being afflicted to give rest together with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's plural. So now, uh, pre-trib, it comes again, comes down again to tradition. And I have responded to making this exact point. And you know what the preterb response is? Oh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. That's not referring to when Christ returns for his church. That's referring to Armageddon. That's even though the context clearly shows that Christ is coming to a persecuted people, i.e., of course, his church. In in Second Thessalonians chapter one, I mean it's absurd to say this is referring to Armageddon, when the whole intended purpose of Second Thessalonians chapter one is to show that God's people being persecuted will give, be given relief at Christ's return. Luke nine twenty six. Write this down unless you're driving. Luke nine twenty six. It shows that there's going to be a host of angels, plural, that will accompany Christ when he comes back for his church. It says, quote, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So instead of these two accounts being incompatible, they are consistent. Okay, here's the last objection I want to respond to. Uh, and I, the last objection here, uh, I'm going to mention, you know, claims that it claims that the teachings of Jesus and Paul, again, contradict each other, one another. Okay. Uh, and, and thus they argue that, well, it must be addressing two different subjects. For example, Pre-trips contend that in Matthew 24, angels do the gathering while in Paul's teaching, the Lord himself gathers. You hear this all the time again in pre-trib literature. So be aware of this uh, objection all the time. It's, it, it, you can count on it that they will raise this objection. Uh, it's a very surface-level objection because it's easily, easily refuted, as I'm going to point out here in a moment. So let me, let me just re, uh, uh, repeat this, uh, the, this point they make. They say that in Matthew 24, it's angels who are doing the gathering, while in Paul's teaching, it's the Lord himself who gathers. Okay, But this is not a contradiction because Paul never st- states that the Lord himself gathers. See, they just assume that. 
but he never actually says it. The verb in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 17, arpagisomatha, okay, that's will be suddenly caught up. This is in the passive voice with an unstated subject doing the action. Okay, so the Greek refutes their the sur- surface level objection in itself. You see, believers, believers is, are going to meet the Lord in the sky, but the agent who actually gathers them in Thessalonians is actually it's left unstated. So, so it's pre-tribulationists who are, are reading into the text to assume they're just assuming that the Lord himself is the primary agent who does the gathering, okay? And moreover, even if the text had said that Jesus gathers gathers believers to himself, it's it doesn't rule out that angels uh, are being used as his instrument to do so, okay? It's not so much an either or. I mean, for example, here's a great example. The Bible speaks about the Lord pouring out his wrath, Right? The Lord will pour out his wrath when he comes back. Look at Revelation verse 6. All right, Revelation chapter 6, verse 16 to 17 says, the Lord is going to pour out his wrath when he returns. But we know that Jesus is, our, Jesus is going to use angels as an instrument to execute his judgments. Matthew 13, verse 41. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. Revelation chapters 8 through 9. Revelation 14, chapter 14, verses 15 to 19. And then Revelation chapters 15 and 16. So in these texts, it shows that no, angels are the instruments to pour out his wrath. But it can also at the same time, say Revelation 6, 16 through 17, uh, that Jesus himself will pour out his wrath. So you have to recognize biblical language here and this is language we use this is the type of language type of language that we we can um use in our own life we have to understand you know the pre-tribulationists they just woodenly interpret scripture uh yeah jesus is going to pour out his wrath but he's going to have a agents to to um to help him pour out his wrath uh and the same thing with gathering the church yeah we i mean one sense we can say that Jesus, I mean, it's, it, it, even though it doesn't even say Jesus is going to gather his people per se, although in Revelation, one can make a case in John 14, it says that. But we know that he's going to use angels as an instrument, an agent to uh, to help him gather his people. So, again, it, this is pretty, it's pretty desperate. Uh, attempt by pre-tribulationists to try to find some contradiction there. So, anyway, I wanted to mention those three objections because I didn't want someone to write me and say, "Well, you know, hey, you mentioned these thirty parallels, but what about this objection there, or this one?" So, I I mentioned uh, the the most common ones and 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 I've shown that there there really are they really are surface level objections to the parallel accounts. So, you know, just to to wrap it up here, um, Jesus' teaching and Paul's teaching on the second coming, they complement each other and giving a consistent picture of the second coming of Christ. And the overwhelming parallels, these 30 parallels between their two accounts show that they are clearly speaking uh, of the same future second coming of the Lord, and they are both, therefore, uh, 
they are both for applicable for the church or intended for uh, God's people. So we need to take these warnings uh, seriously. Well, I will um, again. I'm, you know, you can if if you want this chart of the thirty parallels, uh, you can purchase my book uh, Antichrist before the day of the Lord. What every Christian needs to know about the return of Christ, uh, and or. If you want to see these parallels in a chart form, it's an e-chart form. I used to have them in laminated uh, format, but uh, I just kind of went with the e-chart. I will provide a link uh, in the in the show notes. Well, I hope this has been helpful, and uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>